This is Amateur Logic, episode 179, for March 17th, 2023. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories, and by ICOM. Got cabin fever? Look no further. Spring is just around the corner, and ICOM has what you're looking for. Our top quality base stations, mobiles, and handhelds are perfect for working your favorite bands inside the ham shack or venturing out this spring. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm Professor O. Thomas. <laughs> I'm Tommy O. Martin. And I'm Cheap O. Man. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm Mike O. Morno. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really thought that. <laughs> okay. It, it worked. It did. Yeah, it yeah. was great. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, what kind of furniture does an Irishman have in his living room? Uh, what kind does he have? I give up. Patio furniture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, no. What kind of furniture does email have in his living room? No, don't know. Cheapo furniture. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Okay. Unless you got no, one, Tom. No, no. You're D1. No. I was going to do a Jeff Foxworthy redneck thing, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> okay. All right. We've got a fun show lined up tonight. Glad you could join us here. This is, well, I don't know. Based on the decorations around here, looks like this must be St. Patrick's Day. You can't really tell about emails there. That might be a pot plant or something he's got going <laughs> off screen over there. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my Irish throwing stars. Oh, okay. That's not that's a pot plant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, we've got some fun things lined up tonight. Let's just go around the horn, see what everybody's been up to and what we're about to get up to. Tommy? Uh, not, not a lot going on, man. Uh, been have a lot of things around the house. Uh, been around there a lot and uh, did discover something kind of new, uh, digital mode related, which I did a segment on this time. I was not aware of, so hopefully people will find that interesting. Cool. Emil, what's been going on down there? Well, as as you know, as you guys know, and and probably are seeing the alerts up your way, uh, the weather yesterday is in the 80s, and the weather tonight's in the 30s, and the rain 
didn't stop much today, so it's going to be interesting. We've been going through and uh, braving that, but other than that, we've uh, we've had uh, quite the uh, Brady bu- the dot TV bunch. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening, but yeah, that's the echo. The the constant looks psychedelic. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting to hear some Doors music. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, besides the, uh, that, the the, t- the dot TV bunch uh, things that you put out there, I've been also doing the uh, the my club here uh, newsletter. You know, you can learn a lot of stuff from the newsletters. So I just published ours at the W five SLA. Uh, we call it the QRM Man Made Noise, and uh, have fun with that. Always learn stuff too. Lots of history things out there that I uh, in in all of our clubs kind of uh, talk to each other around the uh, lake here. So I've been up doing that too and just having fun with it all. Okay. That sounds like a fun time. It does. Mike, what's going on up there? Well, well, as you know, I was away for a couple of weeks on holiday and, and now I need a vacation. So don't let me take a vacation because I came back to all this work I had to do and get done. Yeah. I kind of know how that goes. I have sort of been snowed under with work projects. As a matter of fact, Emil, I was in the swamp earlier this week. And I've got to go back. And it just happened to give me fuel for another Tales from the Transmitter site, which we'll be watching here a little bit later tonight. Uh, You're the slacker this month, so I know... The most Good we can job. expect is um, maybe a post or, I mean, I don't think you'll even have an email. Maybe. 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 We'll see. Okay. And Mike? There's a a new material called MXene, um, and uh, they're experimenting by using it as a Faraday cage. But the difference between this uh, material is it can be switched on and off. Um, so it can block uh, wireless signals, and it can be switched on and uh, allow the signals to pass through. Um, it goes into a fair amount of detail in the article, but um, there's the uh, the link on the screen there and a QR code if you're so inclined to check it out. And it's MXE, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about that material in the future. I'm thinking of some other ideas right off the top of my head that I could do with that maybe. Yeah. Build a shop out of it. And build a build a beam antenna. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, Tommy, you're up first tonight with a segment. I was on Facebook the other day looking around and I ran across a picture of something. Caught my eye. I saw someone's cell phone with a thumb D V or D V mega stick. To, to the bottom of it with a OTG cable, and it caught my eye. So I thought I'd check that out and see. I, I have this DV Mega Globetrotter that I use with my cell phone quite often. It's a really sweet device. It's got an Ambi server built in, but also works in dongle mode. As If you remember my previous segment on this, I showed you that. Um, I also have my Northwest Digital Radio 
thumb DV stick here. And I've shown it as well. They work very similarly, but one's wired, one's wireless. Well, I'm going to see about getting the uh, these to work on my cell phone today. This is an Android phone. It's not going to work on an iPhone. The, we need to use a Blue DV software, and it doesn't support iPhone. So, uh, iPhone users, uh, sorry, but you'll be out on this one. So, I've already got the software installed. Well, it's the same software I used before, so let's take a look at it. We go into uh, my radio section, and I've got uh, Blue DV and Blue DV Ambi, and I'm going to go into Blue DV Ambi. That's one we used when we set up these, this before, the uh, Globetrotter for wireless. So let's go into setup, scroll around, and there's a device set right here. It's the Ambi server. So let's touch on that and bring it down. We've got OTG, which is on the go, which means it's one of these little devices. I've shown it before on the show as well. It's a little OTG cable, and this one's for USB-C to regular USB. We're going to try to get that to work. So I know my Thumb DV is uh, one of the older ones, 23 1,400 is the baud rate on it, but the newer ones are 46,800, but I do know mine is 23,230,400. 230, so let's go ahead and click submit on that. Let me go ahead and pop the top off of this thing, and let's plug it up. The on-the-go cable, it's just a standard on-the-go cable. I got two of them off Amazon for $9, and let's plug it up. We'll turn it over so we can see the light. Okay, and I'm going to skip that, whatever. Okay, so let's go into connection. We're going to open the connection. Before I go much farther, you need to go in here and set it up. There's a video I did in the past about that. Uh, but you need to put your call sign, your DMR ID, so forth in here, at your hotspot ID, uh, anyway, so forth, and go ahead and click OK, or Submit, rather. And let's, we're plugged up. We've got the uh, Thumb DV plugged up in here, and let's open the connection. I'm going to allow it, yes. And I saw, it, I saw the light blink on the device. So let's see if we can connect to something. I'm, on, I'm a D-Star guy, so... You DMR guys, uh, forgive me, but it works the same for DMR as long as you have your settings right. So I'm going to go to Reflector 1 Charlie. That's actually the last one I played around with on here. And let's uh, connect. Link to R E F 0 Nobody talking, but we heard it connected. Let's disconnect. Let's try 30 Charlie, see if anybody's on there. Link to R E F 0 C. Okay, to, to make a call on here, you touch the screen. I've got it set to change color when when it's transmitting, so it's easy for me to tell. So let's see if anybody's on. This is Tommy M5ZNO. Is anybody around? Can you tell me how this up? device sounds trying to get it set up you sound really good to me not a problem and 8 lpq good audio 
holding it well. Awesome. Appreciate that. I'm trying to set up my Thumb DV on my cell phone using uh, Blue DV Ambi. Appreciate, the, appreciate you uh, coming back to me. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and clear for a minute and test something else out. M5Z, you know, thanks. Disconnected. So I'm going to try my Globe Trotter. I'm probably going to have to go into the settings and change it. So I'm going to go ahead and disconnect that connection. Let's unplug my cable. Let's unplug this. I like to put that back on so I don't lose it because I would be the first one to lose something like that. We need a cable that supports data. This is a micro USB to regular USB. Let's go ahead and hook it up. Let's hook this back up as we had it. And let's hook this up to the Globetrotter. I really do like this Globetrotter. It's a pretty unique device. It's in ambi server mode. So let's go ahead and go into menu. Menu. Go in here where it says uh, ambi server. Let's click the OK button. Nope, ambi server. One more. Click OK to toggle it. It says ambi dongle. Go ahead to menu. Go around. I'm not going to change anything else. Actually, there was a gateway, a baud rate. See the baud rate, 23400? That's uh, actually the, what we had set up on here. If you have it set different, just pay attention. So we'll go ahead and click this till it gets all the way around to save. Save. Press OK. Saving. Restarting. And let's give it a try. Okay, that's set up. Let's try let's try one Charlie this time. It's usually pretty busy about this time of the day. So I'm gonna go ahead and open the connection to the serial port. Let's click connect. Oh, it's not wanting to connect to me for me. It says OTG is connected. Start it back up again. Okay, we'll open the connection. Oh, now it's asking if it wants us to allow a connection. It's probably going to work this time. It changed devices. I probably needed to restart the program. Okay, one Charlie's still set. That's open. Connect. Link to R E F zero zero one C. One thing I don't like about this program is it turns the volume up to 100% every time you start it. Uh, I wish there was a way to prevent that. Let's uh, let's try the fun machine. Well, somebody just keyed up. Let's disconnect. The fun machine would be. Not uh, I believe that's going to be XLX815. If I remember right, 815, bravo. Link to D, C, S, 8, 1, 5, B. In 5Z, you know. Well, it works pretty much the same way. 
K8JTK in 5Z and O. You around? Well, he must not be around at the moment, but it works exactly the same way as this. It's pretty sweet. I love this device. I like both of them. I love this device. A lot of times I leave it on on the Ambi server mode here and I can connect through this software because I have the port open on my network and I can use it from remote. But sometimes I forget to turn it on or open the port. I'll, this is always in my computer bag when I travel. Because of my job, I have to carry that bag. So I always have it in the phone. And I've got one of these cables in my bag as well. So I'm, I'm good to go. I can get on D-Star. Now there's a, uh, a Droid Star application, but they've done some things with the codecs on it. And while it's not difficult, I don't think, to set up, I haven't set mine up on it. And... This audio quality is not as good, but the audio quality on this is really, really good. So anyway, I hope if you didn't know about this, I hope you find it useful. It's really cool. I, I had no idea that the OTG functionality was in the software. Not a lot, not, not a super technical segment, but a little informational this time. So hopefully you'll find it useful. Maybe if you got one of these with a DB Mega Globetrotter sitting around, may help you get a little bit extra use out of it. 73. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't know. That may have been in there a long time. I, I'm not really sure, but uh, I just noticed it the other day. So kind of got excited and wanted to try it. One of the other things I noticed, and I had read this, uh, that David had added NXDN as a mode onto uh, BlueDV. And uh, I think I spied it when you were going down the list and switching to the fun machine. Yeah, I need to play around with some of that, too. He's uh, he does some really cool stuff. Um, all that software he, he writes all that in his free time for fun, and and every bit of it's free. So it's a really good service to the ham community. Cool. On the go. Yep. On the go. So Tommy, I think you have some late breaking news tonight. I do. It actually came via. Email actually came via several emails. Uh, one from my friend Chip K9MIT. Uh, I think Mike sent one, and, and somebody else sent one too. But uh, uh, ham radio operators, we need your help during the solar eclipse. NASA's asking for help. Uh, ham radio operators, we're calling you, members of the Ham Radio Science Citizen Investigation Ham SCI. We'll be making. Radio contacts during the 2023 and 2024 North American eclipses, probing the Earth's atmosphere. It'd be fun, friendly event with a competitive element, and you're invited to participate. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there are a couple of eclipses coming up, and uh, you can go to uh, Hams. I call it Hamsky. H a m s c i dot org <laughs> slash festivals dash eclipse dash ionosphere dash science. You know, the last time we had a a solar eclipse, I did some of that. I mean, I didn't report anything, but I actually saw the segment. It may have, I don't know, did we run it here? I don't remember that one. I must have run that on Ham Nation then. But I, um, I, tuned, I used the AM radio band to see what would happen, and I measured some signals to see what I could pick up, and there was a station quite a ways away that I really wasn't hearing and when it started eclipsing man it came on in like it was nighttime. Oh cool. Yeah. 
Well, that's pretty cool. Well, there's a, the two eclipses that are listed here. One's October the 14th of this year, and then there's another one coming up on April the 8th of next year. Okay. So, so anyway, you got a little bit of time to prepare, but uh, I try to remember to uh, remind people about that when it gets closer to yeah. time. It's, it, it's a fun thing, interesting, too. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. When you, when you that, said Hamsky, it reminded me of a really bad dad joke. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Aren't they all bad? <laughs> They're all bad. What's, what's green and flies over Poland? <laughs> I give up. Uh-oh. Peter Pansky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a green joke, at least. That's right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a date appropriate. That yeah. that same article, Tommy, made it to our uh, newsletter too. So there's a lot of people talking about that right now. Yeah, for sure. yeah. It's, I got yeah. I got it from three different people. One one of them was Mike, and then one was Chip, and I forget the other one. I have to look back through my emails. But anyway, yeah. it's kind of cool. I call it Hamsai. Hamsai. Yeah. But it could be Hamsky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sai is probably better, but. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be back in just a moment. Don't go away. Would you like a good, quick way to erect your portable antennas at the next ham radio outing? Then check out the MFJ1914 Lightweight Antenna Support System. The MFJ1914 is a stainless steel antenna mass mount system, and it comes complete with four 15-inch heavy-duty tapered galvanized stakes with outer pins for secure ground mounting of your favorite MFJ telescopic mast. It includes two sturdy U-bolts that will hold up to two and a quarter inch outer diameter mast. Telescopic mast and portable operations are more popular than ever, and the MFJ1914 will help you get your antennas up in the field quickly, easily, and safely. Assembly takes only a few minutes. With a Phillips head screwdriver, and a wrench. When you're ready to deploy your antennas, just place the MFJ1914 mount system on the ground and use a hammer to drive the four tapered stakes into the ground for a sturdy, secure mast mounting base. Attach your mast and antennas, telescope your mast, and get on the air from almost anywhere. And depending upon your mast, antenna choices, conditions, and location, guiding may not be required. When you're ready to enjoy the next soda, poda, iota, field day, or any outdoor radio operating event, take along your MFJ telescopic mast and MFJ 1914 stainless steel antenna mast mount system and get on the air. And it's perfect for your backyard or MCOM uses too. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com. How tall is that mast? Because that camera shot made it look like it went up to the heavens. It's It was just below there. 43 feet. Yeah, it looked like wow. 46 to me when it was up there. I would show it to you, but it's green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You kind of disappeared in the clover when you reached over there. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice little mast, man. I mean, it's for stringing wires up, it's... If you extend it out to 43 feet, the the very last element is really small. Yeah. It's, it's real tiny. But uh, we did a, uh, or you did, I think I used it some, a vertical at uh, field day a couple, 
few years ago. I the think last one camp we went camping at. Yeah, I think I've used it twice uh, as a vertical, and I've set up a um, a dipole on it one time. I don't know that I really used it, but I remember doing that. Um, so yeah, it's real neat for a little lightweight, you know, pick it up with one hand type of mass. Pretty convenient. You know, speaking yeah, I, of that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. You know, I was just going to say because it's fiberglass, it's it's non-conductive. It's 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 uh, not a ferrous metal. So I guess you could just attach a wire onto the top element and mm-hmm. just send her all the way up to the top for a long, tall vertical. That's exactly what I did, and I segmented the wire where I could lower it down and just plug in however whatever length I wanted of wire. And ran uh, several different lengths of ground radials out. Worked good. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let's see. Up next, speaking of antennas, I think it's your turn, Mike. You speaking want to set it cool. up? Yeah. Well, this this uh, started out as kind of a should I do it? Um, it's a uh, it's an antenna, and I haven't built anything in a long time, so I was kind of excited to to get my hands into building something. So um, I decided to build a, a dual band antenna for satellite work because I don't have one, and also they're kind of hard to come by in a dual band. Dual band satellite Yagi. I've always been interested in amateur radio satellites, but never had a suitable antenna. After looking around at various options available, the ones that I found were relatively expensive, so I looked into making one. George Smart, M1 GEO, in the UK, on one of his webpages, you can find his site here, George has a project detailing the construction of a dual-band 2-meter and 70-centimeter Yagi antenna. The original design was made by LY3LP in Lithuania, but George and his father Christopher G8OCV found the SWR to be less than optimal. So after some computer modeling, they altered the dimensions as shown. All the measurements are in millimeters. The bottom of the diagram shows the element spacing. The red element in the diagram is the driven element or dipole and is connected directly with 50 ohm coaxial feed line. Normally at VHF and UHF frequencies, you need to be aware of the feed line losses associated with the length of coax, but in this project, the feed line length is short enough that regardless of what type of 50 ohm coax you use, the losses will be negligible. Thanks to George, he has done all of the heavy lifting and mass and has provided the antenna modeling plots on his website. Here is the SWR plot on VHF with the lowest SWR resonant point at 145.825 MHz. Here is the SWR on UHF with the lowest SWR resonant point near 437.75 MHz. Next we see the beam pattern on VHF and on UHF. These next two slides show a 3D representation of the beam patterns on VHF and UHF. Okay, let's build this thing. This image shows the two most important items for the construction of the Yagi 
Elements and Boom. I discovered an economical source for suitable antenna elements, aluminum TIG welding rods. These are solid aluminum and come in three foot lengths. I had to settle on 332 inch diameter, however I understand that 1 8 are available from other sources, which I would have preferred, but this is what the store had. The boom is made from a leftover length of 1 inch diameter Schedule 40 PVC pipe that is available from plumbing supply and big box stores. Next I designed using Tinkercad rings where the elements could thread through the boom. I printed them out of Eco ABS on my 3D printer. These rings, you require seven of them, are optional and besides adding a finished look, they also served as a drilling guide in aiding the alignment of the elements. I also designed and printed end caps that fit snugly onto the ends of the boom. The nose cone is purely for aesthetics. The bottom cap is where the coaxial cable terminates to a BNC jack. Now comes the most critical and important part of the build. All elements must be perfectly aligned and the spacing of the elements is critical. Draw a straight line, use a straight edge or meter or yardstick down the entire length of the boom carefully mark out all of the element position spacings on the line. If you 3D printed the element rings, slide one of these rings onto the boom and starting with the reflector bottom element, position the ring until the element position mark can be sighted through the hole of the ring. Drill a small pilot hole, being careful not to disturb the position of the ring. The drill bit should be a size or two smaller than the diameter of your elements. Now carefully drill another pilot hole on the opposite side, again using the ring as a drilling guide. Repeat these steps for the remaining elements until you have all seven rings and sets of holes on the boom as shown here. Once the holes have been drilled, I use toothpicks to secure the rings into position. Next, carefully measure and cut each element according to the chart. Measure twice, cut once. The next step is to determine the finished hole size that you'll need. Redrill each of the pilot holes. This is more or less a try and see, as what you are aiming for is a hole size that is big enough to thread the welding wire elements, but snug enough to keep them in place. For the attachment of the coax, I secured the stripped ends using small clamps after wrapping around the elements several times. The driven and reflector elements are connected using these 3D printed connectors. Note that they are open at each end, but not fully through. They maintain a 15mm spacing of these two elements. Here is a picture of LY3LP's finished dual band Yagi. Here you can see he's using a Baofeng UV5BHT. Many thanks to Mike1, Golf Echo Oscar, Golf 8 Oscar Charlie Victor and Lima Yankee 3 Lima Papa. Once again, 7-3 from VE3MIC. I'll be interested to hear how that works out. Unfortunately, time was limited. I didn't have a, an opportunity to, to try a, a few passes of some of the some of the sats. So hopefully in another segment I can I can capture that on video. Cool. Do you check the SWR on it? 
I haven't, and uh, that's another thing I need to do. Unfortunately, I don't have an analyzer that goes up high enough into those bands, so I'll have to see about boring one. I know you can get a nano VNA, pretty cheap. <laughs> that's so, true. I I was looking at something else here at at the well. I was looking at the chat room. I'll be honest, and I missed how you connected the aluminum rods to the uh, the coax. I saw the housing you built, but what's keeping the aluminum and the, I assume, copper happy with each other? There's, well, that's that's the million-dollar question. Um, being the aluminum, um, I looked at, uh, you can get special rods that you can, you can weld with aluminum, but I was concerned that it was going to probably melt the, um, the ring or, or perhaps even the boom. Uh, in doing that. So what I ended up doing is using those little nylon clamps, just wrap, it's not ideal by any means, but uh, just wrapping it around a few t- times and then securing it with one of those nylon clamps uh, against the, uh, the driven element. Okay. Well, Tommy and I were talking about it and what was the uh, compound you were mentioning? That- no ox. No ox. If you, yeah, that would be that would be a good thing because, as you know, uh, aluminum has a tendency to oxidize pretty quickly, especially mm-hmm. if it's out in the elements. But when you put aluminum and copper together, there's a reaction from it. Right. I yeah. guess it's it's like anything else. Um, even when you're uh, using stainless uh, hardware on aluminum uh, mass and stuff and and things like that, you still have to use what do they call it galling. The the metals they kind of weld themselves together making it difficult to remove after uh, after they've been in the elements for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. that no-ox you're talking about, yeah, is, is, a, is a good thing to have on hand. Mm-hmm. I, I was telling George I bought some at Dayton one year. Yeah. little thing. It was pretty cheap. I just bought yeah. it through it my stuff. I've used it a few times. I have actually soldered a copper wire to a piece of aluminum before. You're a maniac. It's, it's like magic, man. <laughs> Now, it, now what's that? I've done I've done um, stainless steel, but not aluminum. And I was I was uh, worried about putting too much heat to it and well, distorting the plastic. Uh, based on on my experiments on doing that, while it is possible, it takes a long time, and that probably that piece of plastic would end up just being a a melted blob before you ever got it solid. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah I cool. thought of I thought of of maybe um, now I haven't seen anything uh, suitable yet. But I even think I I was even thinking of a some sort of a crimp on connector that I could fasten on. But but the thing is, I still need the end of the element to go into the boom uh, for support. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I don't have like an open end to attach. Well, and I can't really attach them on the inside because there's no no way to work once they're inserted inside the uh, the boom. Um, George M M one G E O he he built his on a on a um, on a on a wooden mast and he he just mounted his elements on top of the wood and used uh, clamps uh, similar to the ones that I showed in the video. Um, I think his were likely metal. And he got them from a hobby store. 
Cool. All right. You know, I may not be the only one, but I'm probably one of only two people here tonight who have an actual email right here. Well, you're the only one here in this building with one. Well, I, that's why I brought two <laughs> of them. I got two emails I'm covering for you well, here. Well, so thank you. You owe me. I'll, I'll hook you up. But the first one comes from uh, a guy, well, we know, I know email knows him. It's our friend Glenn, and he said, look what my traveling hat found today. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Look, it's in the chair. Look out. Room. Yep. <laughs> Crowd ads. And potatoes, oh, yeah. sausage. Corn, corn, mushroom, olives, yum. Is that when carrots I, in there? When I see that, I think about the rain ham fest. Yep. And, you know, there was a rain ham fest this year. No. Yeah. You know, we said there wasn't. Yeah. But, I uh, thought Arnie looked it up and said, or I think it was Arnie. Somebody looked it, it up. So yeah. it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the the normal ham fest. It was kind of like a, a impromptu get-together. Tomorrow is their uh, getting back to it. That was sort of impromptu, too, wasn't it? <laughs> the dogs are still talking to somebody. <laughs> if you listen on my segment real close, you'll hear two dog barks in there. If you listen on mine... Coming up here in a few minutes, you'll hear uh, <laughs> at least one dog barking in there. Um, so they're having what's what's going on tomorrow? They're having a ham fest tomorrow. No, it was last last weekend. Yeah, it was last weekend, and it was just a uh, a small a smaller okay. get together. And tomorrow, they I mean, next year they're planning on resuming the full. Okay. Well, I was thinking, you know, we heard there wasn't one, and then all of a sudden it popped up. And I said, well, I, I couldn't have gone anyway uh, this no. past weekend. But, well, you couldn't have either. So, um, yeah, interesting. I, I email, I don't know exactly what this is, but I'm, I would imagine you do. There's something that the hat is sitting on there. Is that a crawdad cooker or There's something? There's a theme here. Yes, uh, I'm sure Glenn. I've been to one of Glenn's uh, crawfish bowls at his house, and yeah, that's that's quite the uh, get up there. Speaking of aluminum, you cook it in there, and then it you dump it from there. It's all in one piece that makes it super cool and easy with that nice looking crawfish uh, logo there. So the hat definitely took advantage of that boil, and they make some mean crawfish over at his place. Well, so y'all call it crawfish, you don't call it crawdads. Right, crawfish. Crawfish. Same difference up here. And that's you, you, you above I-10, right? You're north of I-10. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> all right, all right. You can call them pretty much, you know, mud bugs oh. or whatever you want up here. If you keep right. going north, we call them crayfish. Well, we, yeah, I've heard that, that term, too. I got one more email. Oh, tell and me it's not so. It is so. And I, I, the only reason I'm reading this one is because there's a real conundrum here. Uh, Greg Neely, KL4JN, had that. He wrote me. Well, he may have wrote, 
y'all too. I'm not sure if you were copied on this. Radio pros love the show. I don't know which I'll try first: the relays, VNA, or Emil's MFJ field gear. Keep up the great production. And uh, you know, I wrote Greg back and I said, I'm not sure which one I'll try first either. <laughs> and then I said, I'll wait. Yeah. 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 I was on that. Yeah. I thought thought y'all might have been on there. And he said he's going to be trying out a Google Service Weaver tomorrow. It looks like an easy way to set up microservices in Go. He's an old C programmer, and Go is similar to C. Hmm. It sounds interesting. I wanted to look it up and see what the deal is. If it, but I didn't get a chance to see about it. I see what you did. I see what you did there. Oh, I see what you did too, <laughs> Mike. You started it. I was going to say that wasn't very sharp. Oh no, no, you. No, didn't. it wasn't. It wasn't very sharp. And my C is is usually sharp. Plus plus. Y'all need to stop. <laughs> okay, we'll stop. We're going to be back in just a moment because I've got a tell from the transmitter site. Got cabin fever? Look no further. Spring is just around the corner, and ICOM has what you're looking for. Our top quality base stations, mobiles, and handhelds are perfect for working your favorite bands inside the ham shack or venturing out this spring. ICOM's newest FM transceiver is the ICV3500. And it's ready to hit the road whenever you are. With a compact body and simple interface, this radio is a must for those looking for a long-range mobile with a fresh look. Go further with 65 watts output and get louder with 4.5 watts of audio with the ICV3500. The rugged ICOM ICT10 portable meets or exceeds standard military testing. With an IP67 waterproof rating, the ICT-10 can withstand any field activities ahead, hear any transmission, and listen to FM broadcast with a loud 1500 milliwatt speaker. The ICT-10 is an excellent choice for any bug out bag. The IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various stages, reducing inherent noise in different IF stages. With RF direct sampling, the IC7300 changes the way entry-level HF is designed. The IC705 is a perfect sidekick and QRP companion. Base station features and functionalities at the tips of your fingers in a portable package covering HF, 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs just under 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional backpack LC192 with a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories. The ID52A is a VHF-UHF dual bander with D-Star and FM dual mode functions and is the first handheld amateur radio with a full-color 2.3-inch waterfall display. 
This radio supports conventional FM communications and D-Star Simplex, Repeater, Regional, and Worldwide calls over the D-Star Internet Gateway. Send photos over D-Star with a connected Android device. The ID52A is a perfect companion to the IC705. Both use compatible batteries and headsets, and you can also use the same Android app for D-Star operation. Learn more about these and all the great ICOM radios at icomamerica.com slash amateur for the love of ham radio. You know, anytime there's an opportunity to go play in the mud. And, <laughs> Do and, it. And get paid. We're looking at, at you, Emil. Yep. And get paid at the same time. Yeah, you can get some. You can find some dinner in the mud too if you look in the right places. Yeah, I'm sure you could, but or um, some critters out there could find dinner too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm an expert on alligators now. Here we go with uh, tales from the transmitter site. Warehouse, but the glamorous world of broadcast engineering. Can you do something like this? At 50 kilowatts, that's not your father's heat kit. Out in the swamp, it takes a lot of power to operate a 50 kWAM transmitter. You'll probably want three-phase 480-volt service. In the highly unlikely event of a power failure in the swamp, you'll want to have one or maybe 2,000 gallons of fuel available for the generator. On the left-hand side of the photo is a 50 kilowatt solid-state AM transmitter. In the middle is a phaser cabinet. On the right-hand side is a 1-kilowatt auxiliary transmitter that's used as a backup and at nighttime. Why would you need a phaser cabinet? That's because this station operates with a directional antenna at night. There are three different towers at this location. During daytime hours, only one tower is used. At night, all three are switched in to create a directional pattern to the south. Unlike a Yagi antenna that we'd commonly use in amateur radio, where only one element is fed, in this case, all three towers are being fed power. The knobs on the front of the phaser allow you to adjust the power and phase being fed to each tower. Inside the phaser, we use a combination of coils and capacitors for matching and to shift the phase and power that we'd like to go to each tower. There are a couple of RF contactors, or switches in here, that are used to direct the power through the phaser. That's why I'm here today. One of the RF contactors at one of the towers has an issue. It's only switched in at night, but when it won't switch, we've got a problem. In order to connect these transmitters and towers in a method where nothing gets burned up and it works like it should, we need some wiring and relays to make it happen. The technical term for this is rat's nest. To verify that the antenna system is working correctly, we use a device called a phase monitor that allows us to compare the phase and power ratios being fed to each of the towers. To verify the directional pattern of a directional AM station, we'll use an instrument called a field strength meter to actually go out in the field and take measurements at specific locations. 
Now anytime you're going to be working out in the swamp, it's a good idea to bring your hoe with you. Now we don't own these towers, we lease them. And some of that galvanizing spray really looks like it does a good job. However, you might want to check things a little closer. Now you're not going to have this much fun sitting in the office. I apologize for the poor quality of these photos. This is the inside of one of the antenna tuning units after the RF contactor has been removed. This is a simple T-network, much like we might use an amateur radio. However, all the connections are fixed. They are not variable because we don't change frequencies. You'll also notice custom drain holes in the bottom of the cabinet to allow any moisture to escape. These were formed through a special rusting process. Here's the antenna switch I retrieved from the tower. You can see there are two positions here. When the plungers are in the up position on this side, that indicates the day mode. Well, this particular tower is not used during the day, so there are no spring contacts down inside of here. That just flops in that direction and no connections made to anything because there's nothing connected here. On the other side of contacts over here are the night mode, and that's when this particular tower switches in. You can see there's a pole piece here. It's on the top and bottom, and there's two sets of these finger contacts, one at the top and the bottom. One side goes to the matching network inside the ATU, the other side down below goes to the antenna. And so when this pole piece is pulled in on this side, it connects those two sets of contacts together. There are solenoids inside here, and here's one that pulls this in two different directions. In the night mode, it'll pull that pole in to those two contacts. In the day mode, it does right the opposite. Down inside here, you'll notice there are four micro switches with little levers that contact them. That is what tells the rat's nest back in the building what position this switch is in, whether or not it's safe to turn on the transmitter into this tower, because, hey, you wouldn't want all the RF leaking out, would you? You want it to go to the tower. This is used for the logic for the switching down here. Now, in this particular one, it, it was not switching. We didn't know that. Because every time we'd go down to the doghouse, that's the antenna tuning unit, 
and we would try to switch between day and night mode, it would work. And we'd leave, and it worked for two or three nights, and then it would quit switching again. We'd walk back down there and try it, and it would switch. Seems like every time somebody was at the site, it worked fine. When there was nobody there and it was unattended at night, it would not switch. It took a long time to figure out what was going on because it was highly intermittent. thought it was the micro-switches, and there's three different towers. Each one has got four micro-switches, so I went through and replaced a number of them. The big problem here is the rat's nest. None of this stuff has any schematic diagram, so I have no idea how any of this is wired up. It's strictly a guess and virtually impossible to trace out. Well, the last trip I made out there, this thing did not switch. I kind of looked around, you know, to see if maybe anything was loose. He hit the button and it didn't switch. And I was just kind of wiggling around on things, you know, looking to find a problem. And on this particular solenoid right here, which happens to be the one that would pull it in to night mode, as I was wiggling around here, I noticed this contact was very loose. As soon as I touched the wires, it switched. So then I knew the solenoid was the problem. As I started Taking it out, I discovered that, well, it just broke right out. So somewhere down in there where this contact is supposed to be soldered or crimped or tack welded, it broke. I have not cut this open to see what's going on down in there yet. I'm not hopeful that I can fix it, although I might try it. I ordered a new replacement solenoid to fit this. As luck would have it, the manufacturer no longer makes this particular solenoid, and the new one won't fit. So I've got a retrofit kit now that I've got to install on here, replace both of the solenoids along with uh, all of the linkage, extend the chassis out a little bit by adding on a plate so it'll have room to hold the new solenoids. So this is just one of the exciting kind of jobs you can look forward to as a broadcast engineer. To help keep you straight, here's a few swamp transmitter technical tips. There's a variety of wildlife in the swamp, such as this larger hooved animal. If you're planning to build a swamp-located transmitter site, you want to make sure to have a slough or a marsh of some type. It gives you a good place to store your frogs, beavers, water moccasins, and alligators. It's also convenient in the winter for washing out the road. As a rule of thumb, you'll want to keep three cans of wasp and a hornet killer for every one can of contact cleaner. Now, just a little heads up. You don't want to get these confused with the antenna tuning boxes. Looks like a good time, man. I think this might be the first time you've ever shown us your hoe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, anytime I'm going to be going in the swamp out there, I have to have my snake killing hoe with me. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Yeah, and I've killed snake with that hoe uh, last year, maybe the year before, I don't remember. 
I like George. those custom drain holes. I used we used to, I say I, when we were kids, we had a car with some custom holes like that mm-hmm. in the back floorboard. Yeah, well, a '68 Chevy. They had those installed around the rear window. Uh-huh. Do you remember seeing those? Yeah, yeah. What were you saying, uh, we Bill? Had, we had a car runs, and the uh, one side of the car at the rock, in the rocker panel had developed this rust hole, and one day. <laughs> I reached my hand in there and pulled out a pair of workman's gloves. <laughs> I guess whoever was building the car on the line decided he was going to have a coffee break, took his gloves off, and, and left them there. Wow. wow. I'm, I'm, I'm just about 100% certain, George, that your snake-killing hoe is going to make it to the Christmas catalog in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. It could be a bestseller. <laughs> well, it could be. You know, I... I know, as hams, a I, lot I can of... think of the the, uh, the the copy for the ad. You two can have your own hoe. <laughs> if you're gonna be messing with that, be sure you're wearing your rubber boots. That's all, that's all I can say. Uh, um, this is going south. Deep south. Check, <laughs> please. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, I just, I mean, as amateurs, the technology is a lot the same. Tommy was talking about how that switch looked prehistoric. The ones they make today look almost identical to that. I mean, they're only going to sell. Without the rust. Without the rust, yeah. Um they're only going to sell a few of those, you know, because how many are you going to? Are you, pretty hey, limited market. Yeah, I would pretty think. limited market, and that switch probably three or four thousand dollars, mm-hmm. and that one would uh, probably do five kilowatts. Now, I've there, got one. Would there be any noticeable arc flash when that thing's uh, switching over? That's why it's got those micro switches. Yes, there would be an arc flash, but. Um, the rat's nest is supposed to take care of that. <laughs> you know, just just to explain the technology there. There's about 30 relays in that thing, and it's supposed to turn off the transmitter power before it tries to move that solenoid. Okay. Um, now, that's what all those microswitches are for. If it didn't, that microswitch is supposed to break before it actually moves out of the contact so that that would shut the transmitter off. Okay. But, so uh, so break break before make. Right. But no, I have seen it. The the little uh, spring clips there that the bar goes into. I've seen those things just you know melt down, and there'd be nothing left there when it didn't work right. Are those remote antenna tuners over there on that other, in those white boxes? Now next time I'm going out there, if you'd like to have a closer look, yeah, let's see you're what welcome. makes those things stick. They I think there's transformers in them because it sounds what it sounds it, like when you go. It had a bu- buzzing sound to it, you know. I could so, see from that distance. I could see the bees swarming around really? it. Yeah, that's not on the property of the station, but it's right next to it. Yeah, somebody put those in a couple of years ago, and nobody's messed with them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. If if sixty of them get you, it really hurts. Yes. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there, too. 
that site's out in the swamp. It uses massive amounts of electricity. Um, it needs some work, but yeah, you know, AM radio's not making a lot of money these days, and if you're feeding a 50-kilowatt transmitter a steady diet of 60 hertz, um, <laughs> that that eats up most of the budget. Yeah, and you might as well take advantage of the uh, custom drain holes. I mean, why not? That's why right. not? Yeah. It's a perk. You know, I've read a, I read an article recently that uh, a lot of auto manufacturers aren't even going to be bothering putting uh, AM radios in their vehicles anymore. It's going to be FM that. only. Yep. Some markets that's going to be a a bad deal because I think yeah. Maybe Los Angeles uh, some markets where where there's a lot of mountains around, you know, FM that's right. It's got multipath issues, and the AM stations are still the big stations there. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure the r- the rural c- customers won't be too happy about that. And when you consider how much is involved in adding AM to uh, to a, a radio, it's um, pennies. It's, it's, it's pennies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know the margins were that tight on a new vehicle. Uh, and I guess they're always the bean counters are always looking ways for ways to uh, reduce costs. Well, yeah, yeah. You should just reduce the interference. I, I don't agree with the uh, what they're doing there, but hey, they just don't want to spend the money to fix the noise. Apparently, it's so. going to be an issue too for uh, emergency situations uh, where they they need to get a message out to the masses. Um, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that over fm radio yeah well true they tr- i think yeah. they rely on cell phone stuff for that nowadays but when those don't work too like in florida during the hurricane cell phones were out for a good yeah. while well i mean you won't be able to run your hf rig in a electric vehicle if the am radio can't pick up uh, you know a station that's running a, a kilowatt or or 50 or so, you're not going to hear that DX contact. I'm not going to have to worry about it, though. You're going to walk? No, I don't have an electric vehicle. I'm not planning on getting one anytime soon. Yeah, me neither. Uh, You know, the Ford Lightning kind of looked interesting, but then when they showed if somebody did a test, they put it under the the weight load that it should be able to carry, and I think it went seventy miles and it needed a charge. Yeah, this, yeah. they're not ready. Yeah, no, I, no. I'm not, I'm not even going to even consider such as that. Email. You're email. The, you're the slacker this month. Do you have a bona fide email to share I do, with us? E- email. I mean, email has an email from somebody. Who is in our chat room? Oh, KC9 TPR uh, William from uh, Wisconsin, who's in the chat room tonight, wrote to us with a bona fide email and asked about the cheap old man's uh, segment about the lightning protection. I think Arnie has also asked about that several times as well uh, to see if I did anything with uh, the pieces, parts, and kit that I had. Um, so the answer to that 
is I never did put together my kit. In fact, I gave my pieces parts uh, back because uh, the, the inventor of this device, K5OZ David, he's the president of our club, uh, started building them uh, with some people in the club to see how you know things would go together. So that's the stage it's at. And I'm going to put some of the links uh, to the presentation, the latest one that he has out there for it, on the show notes here. So check them out in the show notes. Uh, there's a presentation about the device as well as um, a video where he actually, uh, in our forums for the HamFest, this is Dave here on YouTube, there's a um, a video from our HamFest that me and Glenn shot of him talking through this device. So there's lots of information out there yet, but I I don't think he's putting it out there as a kit form like for sale or anything, but I'm thinking he's trying to figure out if that's doable and from what i'm seeing and hearing from the people who have them it it works it just works so uh there you go uh bill or william uh kc9tpr that's the uh that's the answer for you so check out the show notes when we uh when george publishes this last this episode okay and then tommy publishes the show notes and then tommy that's right tommy who yeah. Speaking of speaking of show notes, I forgot to mention that uh, uh, I'll post the STL files for all those th- 3D printed parts that I used in the uh, dual band satellite Yagi project. Okay. Cool. Good idea. Yeah, good idea. There's one thing I want to mention for the Thinking Ham. There's going to be a net coming up Tuesday, March the 21st of 2023 at 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, 0100 UTC. And it's the logic net. It's what has replaced the amateur logic sound check net we used to have every week. We um, we finally shut down the net, and our good friend Tom, WA2IVD, decided that he would pick it back up, and once a month we'd have a net the Tuesday following the release of an amateur logic each month. So the net controls this coming Tuesday night will be Tom and Marty, AD0PO. And they'll be talking about uh, whatever you want to talk about. The topics that we had on this episode of amateur logic, or I would assume anything you want to talk about. I don't think anybody would be turned away. I don't think so either. There's a lot of places you can join uh, on All-Star, Echo Link, Hamshack Hotline, Hams Over IP, DMR, uh, D-Star. All the R's. All the R's. <laughs> all the M's, M17, NXDN, P25, Wires X, and uh, YS. F. F. Guess your system fusion. Okay. So a lot of ways you can connect. Right there. So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward uh, to catching some of you on there this coming Tuesday night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's a fun little net. It is a fun little net. And, Tommy, you and I are wearing these shirts tonight, these special issue AmateurLogic.tv long-sleeve T-shirts. These were imported from Canada, as we yeah, mentioned earlier. Yeah, it's a Canadian edition. Uh, Mike and... His wife 
printed these especially for us, but if there were people out there in the audience who needed some kind of... Needed some clothing? Some really good clothing because it's not long before the Dayton Hamvention. That is true. That's coming up pretty soon. I'd like to see some of those running around at the Dayton Hamvention. Yeah. Uh, You can go to shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash amateur logic and get... Where can you get uh, some of that? You've seen the ball cap, so there was... There were like three of those tonight. Mike's got one on. Uh, there's some other kind of caps in there. There's the uh, Wilson, your neighbor cap, like that. Where, 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 where can you get some of that, neighbor? Hi ho, good neighbor. You wow, go to I'm not going to sh- sleep tonight shop. after seeing that. You can go to shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash amateur logic, Wilson. Cool. <laughs> okay. Hey. Are those actually on there? That he's uh, wearing? I think so. Yeah. There's, I bought it some, from there, so yeah. I'm telling you, there's, okay. there's tons of stuff on there. I don't even remember all what's on there. There's uh, backpacks. There may be amateur logic underwear on there. I, I just don't even remember. There's some of everything. <laughs> yeah. It's look, quite a variety. You look what as about? good approaching someone as you will leaving, too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. People can't tell if you're coming or going wearing I mean, that hat. If you really want to look smart, you can put it on the Ham College TV logo side. Otherwise, you can just flip it around and put it on the logic <laughs> side. <laughs> All right. I could, Actually, I could pass it up, the bucket. It well, was on my bucket list. I hope we need we need uh, beanies with propellers on the top. That's what we need. Um, I think maybe that was in one of the gift guides, wasn't it? What the beanies? Yeah, I don't know. One of the seems Christmas from, gift guides seems, seems like it might have been. Oh, the 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 recharge the sun one. Yeah, the cranial cooler. No, the that cranial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a ball that's, cap. That's though. a more advanced version of the uh, the old propeller beanie. You know, we may have to pull that technology back out because you could just hang your head out the window and recharge that Tesla right. as you're going down the highway. There you go, <laughs> perpetual motion machine. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to mention it's it's always on my notes here of what we need to talk about, and that is. If you're watching this on YouTube, how about going down there and click that share button and maybe the like button? Especially if you're watching the published one. Yes, the published the, one. The, the live one, we appreciate all those too, but this, this video will actually go away. Yeah. Well, once it's edited, we we put out, um, you know, the, uh, the episode that uh, will stay there forever. And if you're watching that... Uh, Click share, click like, and let your mom and them know about Amateur Logic. We would appreciate it. If if you weren't watching on YouTube, you don't watch on YouTube, where else could you watch it? Oh, man, there are so many places that you can watch it. and You can download it. Go to AmateurLogic.tv, and you can download it right there. You can also watch it on Roku. Where else? Uh Amazon Fire Stick, iTunes. Is there still iTunes? Archive dot mm-hmm. org. Yep. YouTube. And speaking of Roku, uh, if you've noticed, the Roku channel's been kind of uh, sparse with episodes. 
Uh, Roku had a problem with their software, and they just got it fixed. So when I publish this episode on Roku, I'm going to do my best to get all the back ones published too. So you should see a huge influx of uh, segment of videos. I'm um, not segments, episodes mm-hmm. on the Roku channel coming up here this week. Close to 300. Yeah, between the amateur logic and the ham college. Yeah, so right now they're probably twelve on there, maybe. Yeah, at best. Yeah. So, so, but anyway, we've been trying to get it straightened out, but it was beyond our. Well, they've had a problem on their system, mm-hmm. but it's, it seems to be fixed now. Well, with that, um, let's go around one more time and. See if anybody's got any words of wisdom or foolishness before uh, we leave no, tonight. No words of wisdom from over here for sure. Oh, I wasn't some, really expecting any foolishness. I'm glad you included that part. <laughs> Thank you for not leaving me out. Yeah, but I don't have too much to add. Uh, looking forward to the uh, the longer days now since the times changed. So we've got some time after work. So I hope to get out and do some more projects and mm-hmm. stuff. I'm like Mike. I'm I'm way past due for a build project. I'm just itching to get out and do something. Yeah, hands on. Yep. Well, if you need to borrow my hoe, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> Email. I, George, I'm sold. I'm sold, man. The the words of wisdom from tonight's show is got to be. Always bring your snake-killing swamp hoe with you. <laughs> well, that is true, and it doesn't. You don't have to be in Louisiana to need one of those. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we everybody. Well, I say everybody. They're probably not in the desert, but uh, you, you snakes, might want to carry. Out there. Yeah, but you won't have a swamp. No, there's no swamp. Yeah, Mike. Uh, well, as you know, I was away for two weeks, and, and part of that trip took me down to Homestead, Florida. And uh, I actually visited, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the place, but it was in the Florida Everglades. Went for an airboat ride, and and I can honestly say now I'm an expert on alligators because I know exactly not what to do when it comes to alligators. Stay away, run away, or stay away, don't make any noise. Um <laughs> You got the scars to prove it. Well, the the uh, oh. fellow that was uh, at this park that I went to uh, was doing all kinds of gen- demonstrations, including a feeding. And at one point, he uh, was holding the alligator's uh, uh, jaw open with his chin. So, don't oh. do that. No. Uh, Speaking of words of wisdom, yep, he probably needed his alligator killing hoe with him too. <laughs> Yeah. There's the other words of wisdom. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I'm surprised, Emil, you didn't ask me what the cost of the build for that uh, dual-band satellite Yagi was. Hey, hey, Mike, what was the cost of that dual-band satellite Yagi? Total expenditure? uh, Under $40. Canadian dollars. Canadian dollars. That's like $25. That's like 20 American dollars. So, man, if we calculate it and pull your pencil and paper out there, Mel, cost per QSO, what does that (laughs) work out to be? Well, right now it's $40 Canadian because he hadn't made any, but 
but he, but he will. So it'll go down as as time comes along. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's actually, Tommy. Uh, what do they call that? Um, uh, appreciating returns, I guess you could say. Yeah. How much? Yeah. How much was your uh, uh, the software there, Tommy? Oh, mine was free. Hey, oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Watch it with that F word. Mine was free, and the uh, the OTG cable I already had, and oh, oh, and the Thumb my- DV and the uh, DV Mega Globetrotter already had too. So mine was totally free. Mike, I'm sorry, Mike. Well, 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 just hang on there a minute, Emil. Uh, that big tube of uh, TIG welding rod that I bought is probably yeah. got enough in there for me to build three antennas, three Aggies. Ah, okay, so quantity. Okay, quantity. Yeah. Well, you could actually sell those others and make money out of the deal. Uh, I still got a half a tape measure for sale, yeah. by the way. It's on eBay if anybody's interested. <laughs> well, let me just say this. Putting on the rubber boots and carrying the hoe, I actually made money, Emil. <gasps> Negative free. Yep. Huh. Yep. <laughs> so, anyway. Oh, uh, you might start a new category. But I don't know. Can We, we can't really consider that amateur. If you kind of, if you looked at the rat's nest now, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Think about that. You know, the drain run, holes. I run, mean, the drain holes definitely had the value. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for tonight. Did I have any words of wisdom to leave with you? Other, other than the swamp? <laughs> yeah. Um, don't jiggle the wires in the rat's nest very much. That's one. Wear your rubber boots. Carry your snake-killing hoe. (laughs) Make sure that you have more than one can of wasp spray. And don't go around the boxes that I pointed out at the end. Well, the the quote is uh, three cans per can of contact cleaner, right? That is. That is. And it's probably more than that because I've had that contact cleaner can for years, but the wasp spray... Um, I've gone through a lot of it. I bet. That sounds like something straight out of Better Living Through Chemicals. Well, <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Now, I d- don't have the picture, and I'm not sure where it is, but I wish I still had a photo of when I opened up that old transmitter in the building next door to this one that is um, no longer in use. And the snake was sitting up inside of it looking at me. Now, that was that was a classic. I wonder what you were doing in this place. Well, I don't know, but I didn't have any snake-killing spray with me. So I pushed the door back and you you left him alone. You? Or, or your snake-killing hoe. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't have either one of those with me. I guess that's probably where you made that rule. It must have been. Right after, shortly after that. Yep. All right. Thanks for being here, everyone. We look forward to seeing you again in the uh, middle of April. I look forward to seeing some of you at Dayton Hamvention this year. I will be there. 
Mike will be there representing Canada. Emil won't be there this year. Tommy? Jury's out. I'm still working on it. I'm going to try to figure it out this weekend. So I, I hope to go. Okay. All right. Well, that's going to do it for me. And uh, well, I guess, well, I guess it's going to do it for all of us. Then. Yeah. As soon as I hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Seven three, everybody. See, see you at Ham College. Some Seven three. Seven three.